Well, you can go ahead and turn your Bibles to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5. Uh, we will show these on the screen, but if you want to follow along in your Bible, you can get those, uh, uh, those ready. One of the things that's supposed to happen when we become Christians is that our priorities and actions uh, are supposed to change. We're supposed to change. And um, some things that used to be really important to us aren't supposed to be so important to us anymore. Uh, some things that we used to do, uh, we don't do anymore. Some things that we didn't used to do, we now do. Becoming a Christian is more than just being saved from an eternity apart from Christ, though it's certainly that. It's more than being forgiven of our sins and having our sins cast in the sea of God's forgetfulness, though it is that. Becoming a Christian means, at least it should mean, that we change, that our hearts are changed, we become new people with new priorities, we act different than how we used to act. And this change in priorities and actions is the fruit that naturally results from a life that has been connected to Jesus, a life that has been changed by Christ. And so it's important that we see some fruit in our lives because if fruit is the result of being connected to Jesus, the vine, and it is, then if there's no fruit, we have to ask ourselves some difficult questions. If there's no fruit, it's an indication that something is not right in our relationship with Christ and something is preventing the natural fruit that ought to be produced from our relationship with Jesus. And so occasionally we Christians have to ask ourselves questions like, am I seeing fruit in my life that results from being connected to Christ? A great question to ask ourselves is, have my priorities and have my actions changed since I became a Christian? Are my priorities, are my actions bearing witness that I'm connected to Jesus? Today we come to 1 Timothy 5 and we find in this chapter some real rubber meets the road type of topics. As Paul continues to write to his protege Timothy, both for his benefit and the benefit of the entire church at Ephesus, Paul addresses very practical things, very practical things, that reveal a lot about those who proclaim faith in Christ. He, he addresses things that reveal whether or not we're all talk or whether or not our lives, our walk, actually backs up uh, what we claim about ourselves. Have you ever made a claim about yourself and then you got exposed as, you know, having falsely represented uh, what, what you were capable of? You know, maybe think back to, uh, you know, being in school, if uh, the teacher asked for, uh, you know, put a math problem on the board and said, hey, who knows how to do this math problem? And maybe you were one of those eager types who always thought you could do it, you know, whatever it was, and so your hand shoots up and teacher says, okay, come on up here. And you got up there, and as soon as you got to the board, you realized, uh-oh, I don't actually know how to do this. Um, you know, maybe you're, you guys, or I, I, you ladies too. I, I guess this would apply to the ladies. I don't, I don't mean to be an awful human being and suggest that only guys lift weights. That would be horrible of me. Um, but you're at the gym, and, uh, you know, you kind of you get caught up in a moment with your workout partner and they say, how much do you think you can lift? And you say, oh, yeah, I, I can lift 300 pounds. Okay, well, show me. 
you max out at 125, and uh, and you're you're just you're just you know exposed like like you posed as being able to do one thing and you just weren't actually up to it. The things Paul writes about in chapter 5 are the kind of things that put our claim to being a Christian to the test and reveal whether or not our lives can actually back up the claim or if our lives actually undermine the things that we claim about ourselves. So this is real rubber meets the road uh, type of stuff. And there are at least six things that we find in this chapter that are characteristics of a life changed Uh, by Jesus. Six things that either back up our claim of being a Christian or undermine our claim of being a Christian. So I want to look at these six things. Uh, I want to ask all of us as we go through these to examine our own lives uh, in light of these six things. And then if we find ourselves needing to improve in any of these areas, I want to encourage us all to open ourselves up today and ask God to continue to work on us and continue to change us if we lack in any of these areas. And so we find the first characteristic of life changed by Christ in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5. I think that'll be on the screen behind me or you can follow along in your Bible. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. So the specific context of this instruction to Timothy remains that he has been tasked with correcting error in the church, and no doubt this uh, error that impacted the church had uh, impacted men and women and men and women of all ages. And so this is certainly instructive for those times in our lives when we're maybe called to challenge someone or correct someone, but I think there is within this a very broadly applicable principle, and I think it's summarized well as simply treating others with respect and gentleness. Now, if you know very much about the Apostle Paul, you know that he could be very direct, he could be very insistent, he could actually be rather hard on people. And so I don't think Paul is is suggesting that there's never a time to be forceful or to act aggressively in certain situations. I think what he is talking about is what our default position as Christians should be, what what our posture toward others should generally be. It is a characteristic of a life changed by Jesus that we treat others respectfully and we treat others with gentleness. And so the uh, example that Paul uses is he explains that this means treating older men as if they were your father. Uh, Older women, as if they were your mother, and and folks that are in your same general age category as you would brothers and sisters. Of course, this assumes healthy family situations, and and it was also said in a culture that greatly valued older folks, uh, which is sadly not always true in our own culture. But with the negative examples uh, acknowledged and set aside, the advice is to treat people with the respect and gentleness that you would treat a family member if you were treating family members the way that they deserved. Are your relationships with folks in the church and those outside the church marked by respect and gentleness? If not, God has some work to do on us. 
We, we need to turn to him and say, God, I need you to keep changing me. I'm not where I need to be. I, I, I'm not acting in the way that I should. And so change my heart, make me gentle. Let me honor everyone I interact with as someone who is created in your image. We have to be people as Christians who realize that people deserve respect and gentle care for no other reason than they bear the image of God even when that image is marred. This is a rubber meets the road issue of Christianity. Do we show respect and gentleness to others? Look now at the next section of Scripture. It's a lengthy section. Uh, We're going to show it all on the screen, verses 3 through 16, but I'm only going to read a few of the verses. I'm going to read verses 3 and 4 and then verse 8. Here's what they say. Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. Now, verse 8. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Here's an important characteristic that Paul writes about extensively in these several verses, of which I've only read three, an important characteristic of a life changed by Christ, the willingness to care for the vulnerable. The willingness to care for the vulnerable. Paul applies this to widows in the church because that was the pressing issue in their context But I believe it's a principle that extends to all who are vulnerable and most specifically in an economic sense. One of the things that I've been really pleased with here at VCC is that from the earliest days of our church, we have prioritized caring for vulnerable people. In the very first few months, in the very first few months of our church in 2005, I think it was within the first two or three months that we were meeting together as a church, Hurricane Katrina uh, hit the Louisiana coast and, and did all that devastation to the city of New Orleans. And, and while it was, you know, small in comparison to the vast need, we, we gave a special offering as a congregation and we were able to send several thousand dollars uh, to help in the relief efforts uh, for that uh, great uh, tragedy. Uh, For years, we have supported both with financial support and volunteer help, the food pantry uh, that is a collaboration of a number of churches here in town and that is uh, housed at the Pataskala Church of the Nazarene over on uh, 310. We not only have uh, helped financially and with volunteer help uh, in that food pantry, but when we began planting a church in Perry County in New Lexington, uh, we began operating even before we started uh, actively holding worship services. We started operating a food pantry uh, there, and that's been going now for about a year and a half. And so we didn't limit our, our commitment to the vulnerable to here in Pataskala, but as soon as we uh, planted another church, we made sure that, that we were serving those in that community, that we were making that a part of the DNA of that particular church. We provide monthly support to the West Looking Coalition of Care that helps those in need in our community, and we're on their list of churches to send folks to that need additional help from what they're able to provide. Through our Acts 4 fund, we have over the last 11 years helped many people in our own church 
uh, with financial needs. And because we write uh, benevolence into our overall budget, we have also helped many families outside of our church with assistance for utilities and, and food. We've uh, financially assisted those who needed professional counseling and did not have uh, insurance and did not have the means to pay for that uh, counseling. The truth is there are always more needs than there are resources. It's just the way that it is. But we have been committed from the beginning to care for the vulnerable. And of course, this isn't just a collective responsibility. But for Christians, it is also an individual responsibility to care for the vulnerable. And here's an important way that Christians are called to walk this out individually. Verses 4 and 5 and 8 again. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. Anyone who does not provide for his relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. The very first responsibility that Christians have to care for the vulnerable is to care for the vulnerable in their own family. And of course, Paul draws special attention to the, uh, the immediate family, but this applies to the extended family as well. Paul's position is clear. If someone who is vulnerable has family members who are believers, then the biological family is to care for them and they are not to need economic help from the church as a whole. Now, there are a variety of ways to provide support for vulnerable family members. It doesn't all uh, end up with the next thing I'm going to share. But in some cases, it might include inviting a vulnerable family member to live in our home. It's inconvenient. It might not be your first choice. But if that is the only option for a family member to be safe and well-fed, then here's what Paul says to individual Christians, put your religion into practice. Back up your talk with what you actually do. And also, it's, just, it's an aside, but I just want you to note that Paul's not afraid of the word religion. So many Christians today have this little idea that somehow religion is a bad thing. Paul says, put your religion into practice. Now, either in the past or currently, I know that there are many folks in this congregation who have done exactly that. You have cared for the vulnerable in your own family to the point of even inviting them into your own home. Many of you here have cared for the vulnerable that aren't even a part of your family by inviting them to your own home. And you should know that God is pleased with you. And yet there may be many of us here today who we have vulnerable family members, either within our immediate family or in our extended family. And we, for one reason or another, have, have not reached out to them. We have not cared for them the way that we should. Perhaps we've 
you know, we've had an attitude that said, you know what, they kind of made their own bed. I'm just going to let them, let them lie in it. And so today, while some of us may need to hear God say, I'm pleased with you, some of us may need to hear God say, I want you to step up and do better. You have a vulnerable family member that you should be uh, caring for. And if so, so if the Holy Spirit is nudging you in that way today, I encourage you to be open and receptive to what God might want you to do. This is where the rubber meets the road for Christians caring for the vulnerable in our own families. And I want to highlight two things about Paul's instructions on caring for the vulnerable. It's not my main point. It's not the main emphasis. But since we're here and since he addresses this, I think it's a good time to point this out. And that is, if you read through the entirety of the verses that I skipped over, what becomes very clear is that care was to be based on real demonstrated need, real demonstrated need, and the determination of who the church as a whole would help economically was not determined by sentimentality. It wasn't determined by sentimentality. If you take time to read through all those verses, again, that becomes very clear. Paul did not call for the church as a whole to meet every perceived need or even every real need because care for the vulnerable was not based on sentimentality, which would demand that every need everywhere be met by the church because, quote, that's what churches ought to be doing, unquote. No. Support is based in reality. It is determined by definitions of what constitutes real need, and it is determined by what is possible with the resources that are available. There have to be guidelines. There have to be limitations, or very quickly you get to the place where you cannot help anybody. And so we need to understand these things, that that, that care is is not based on sentimentality. There are, uh, there are clear definitions and qualifications for how care is given in the early church, and it's appropriate that there are such things in the church today. And so we need to understand these things while keeping our main focus on the larger point that caring for the vulnerable is a characteristic of a life changed by Christ, a life whose priorities and practices are motivated by Christ and his kingdom. I actually feel, as I assess it, that as a church, as a whole, we are doing quite well with this. But each individual Christian has to examine their own lives and say, how am I individually doing with this? Am I stepping up and providing for vulnerable family members when when the need is there? Am I caring for the vulnerable in any way? Am I serving in the food pantry? Uh, Certainly none of us need to do all of those things, and in different seasons we might not need to be doing any of them, but when the need is in front of us, when when God puts an opportunity in our path, are we we people who say, how can I help? Or are we people who look for a way someone else can help? This isn't just a collective responsibility. This is an individual responsibility. It is a rubber-meets-the-road issue of Christianity. Let's look at another rubber meets the road issue of Christianity, verses 17 through 21. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. 
Don't entertain an accusation against an elder unless it's brought up by two or three witnesses. But those elders who are sinning, you are to reprove before everyone so that the others may take warning. I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and do nothing out of favoritism. Now again, we keep the context in view. Paul is advising Timothy because he's about to deal with leaders in the church who have been involved in error. But these are excellent principles in general for churches as they relate to leaders at all levels within the church. There is a lot in here. There is support here for church leaders being paid. Uh, Occasionally, somebody comes up with the idea that there shouldn't be any any paid staff in churches. We've not really had that uh, here, but that view is out there. Paul very clearly commends that there are uh, people in the church who ought to be paid. Paul certainly is clear that leaders are to be held accountable. Leaders are never to get to the place where they are above being held accountable. The one I want to draw your attention to today is something that I think is overlooked by far too many Christians. Don't entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. Now, obviously... In Timothy's situation, he was going to be investigating false teaching and false teachers. He was going to be disciplining the false teachers. So this is said in that context, but there is an excellent, excellent principle here. Nobody should entertain accusations against leaders, not even entertain them, unless there are two or three witnesses to the accusation. Even once the accusation is entertained, it could turn out to be a misunderstanding. It could be uh, something that's totally untrue. But accusations are not even to be entertained, aren't even to be considered, unless there are two or three witnesses to the accusation. And so let's just speak where the rubber meets the road. And I say this with no knowledge of anything, assuming that there's nobody here who needs to hear this. But just in case, since we're here in the text, let's go ahead and say it. If you are gossiping about a leader in the church, a ministry leader, an elder, really if you're gossiping about anybody in the church, not even a leader, Me? Since we're here, I'll throw myself in there. If you're gossiping about me, or if you're receiving gossip, and based on these things, you're developing a negative attitude because someone told you something they heard from someone else that such and such a leader did, you need to stop it unless there are two or three witnesses to the accusation And if there are, you still need to stop talking about it and go to the leader in question and resolve the issue. Anything else is failing where the rubber meets the road of our faith. And here's the truth, though some people may not like it. How you treat leaders in the church is a rubber-meets-the-road test of whether or not your life has been changed by Christ. 
A life that has been changed by Christ does not tear down leaders. Does not gossip about leaders. Isn't quick to determine a leader is in the wrong based on nothing more than an angry person's gossip. Here's something that being a Christian means. It means we stop acting like elementary schoolers. It means we start handling problems like adults. It means then that rather than talking about someone, we talk to someone. It means that we're mature enough to realize that everything anyone ever says isn't necessarily true. It means that we're mature enough to stop assuming every negative comment is accurate. It is amazing how much of the Holy Spirit I have felt on this point. (laughs) I mean, powerful, powerful. Friends, this this is actually important. It's important. And I'll be honest with you, I would say... It goes a little bit beyond the text. I'm I'm offering you a little bit of an opinion here, but I think this extends to leaders at your job, leaders at your school, leaders everywhere. There is a, I'm going to use a term I don't use much, but I believe this, there is a spirit of anarchy that is loose in our nation. And Christians aren't to participate in anarchy. That's, That's not who we're called to be. Don't, don't be a, a person who is just like hostile to leaders, always tearing down. Don't be like that. Rubber meets the road. Rubber meets the road. How you treat leaders is a reflection of whether or not your life has been changed by Jesus. You'll like this next one better. Verses 22 and 23. Don't be hasty in laying on of hands and don't share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illness. And I wasn't referring to the wine when I said you'd like this one better. (laughs) But you will like this one better. A life changed by Christ is one, or at least it should be one, that gives attention to personal care personal care of yourself. You take care of yourself. You know, Christianity has a lot of demands about how we treat other people, how we care for the vulnerable, how we sacrifice our own interest for the good of other people. But with all of the demands the Christian faith puts on us to be concerned for others, it always remains true that we have a responsibility before God to take care of ourselves. God is not pleased when we give out so much of ourselves that we start running on empty. And I think Paul's admonition to Timothy to guard his purity and to take a little wine for his frequent illness can be summarized this way. You need to take care of yourself spiritually and physically. Every single one of us need to take care of ourselves spiritually and physically. Here's what I've found out. Nobody else is going to take care of me spiritually and physically. No matter how much they love me, no matter how much they like me, they're just not going to take care of me spiritually and physically. I've got to take care of myself in those ways. Look, 
none of us are good to anybody around us if we are always burned out, always spiritually empty, and always physically exhausted. And so a life changed by Jesus Christ is one that attends to its own spiritual and physical needs, aware that we can only be effective helping others when we are healthy ourselves. Some of you here today may have been neglecting your own personal care for your sake and for the sake of those who God wants you to impact in a positive way. I appeal to you today to commit to changing that. I appeal to you today to to go to God and say, God, help me give the proper attention in this area of my life. Help me to begin to attend to my own spiritual and physical needs. And I have some very profound advice for you today about how you can begin to care for your spiritual and physical needs. I I have a, a bit of advice that will help you with both of these. It is deep. It is very theologically deep. And here it is, buy a hammock. (laughs) Buy a hammock. I recently had a hammock purchased for me for my birthday. And I am telling you, I have found it to be one of the uh, best things for my spiritual and physical needs. I have gotten to the place, and I don't want to, you know, exaggerate this. I'm not doing it as much as I would like, but probably three to four times a week, no matter how busy I am, no matter how much stuff I have to do in the yard, I force myself to go out there and lay in the hammock for at least 15 or 20 minutes. And here's what I have found. It is amazing how just that short amount of time can be physically refreshing, and it's amazing how that short amount of time can be spiritually refreshing. And you don't necessarily even have to read your Bible or pray for it to be spiritually refreshing. Here's what I've found. Laying in the hammock and looking at the sky brings some spiritual enrichment to me. I mean, I just, wow, God, you're like, you made that for me. That's amazing. Spiritually refreshing. So if you leave here today and someone asks you, what would you learn at church today? You can say, I learned that the key to spiritual and physical health is to own a hammock. And to use a hammock. Own and use a hammock, yes. Yes, I assume, I assume use with ownership, but I should not do that. Just as you cannot assume use of a weight bench with ownership of a weight bench. So, so use the hammock. And when people hear that kind of advice coming out of here, all of these seats will be filled (laughs) next week. It's a guarantee. All right. But this is a rubber meets the road issue of Christianity. Take care of yourself spiritually and physically. It is a Christian responsibility. All right. Verses 24 and 25. The sins of some are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious, and even those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden forever. Lives changed by Jesus trust judgment and reward to God. They trust judgment and reward to God. You know, sometimes it seems like the most awful people in life always get away with being awful. 
Have you noticed this? It's just like justice never seems to come for them. And have you noticed that sometimes the best people seem as though they never get recognized for living such an exemplary life? We know our priorities have changed. We know that our lives have been changed by Christ when we trust judgment and reward to God. We trust that the sins of those who seem like they're always getting away with it are someday going to catch up with them. And we trust that the good always done in secret will someday be known and be rewarded. Friends, don't be discouraged when evil isn't immediately repaid. And don't be discouraged if you're laboring in a hidden place, your, your good seemingly overlooked by everyone. Judgment and reward belong to God and he will do everything right. In the end, God makes it all right. This is a rubber meets the road issue of Christianity. Trust judgment and reward to God. And here's our final thing. We're going into verse uh, chapter six and it's verses one through two. All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Those who have believing masters should not show them disrespect just because they are fellow believers. Instead, they should serve them even better because their masters are dear to them as fellow believers and are devoted to the welfare of their slaves. Now, the fact that Paul does not condemn the institution of slavery is problematic for our modern sensibilities. And it goes beyond today's talk for me to delve into that, and I'm not sure I could uh, satisfy you anyway. Uh, Of course, we do need to note here that Christianity played a, a hugely important role in the eventual end to the institution of slavery, but Paul doesn't call for it. And it seems that he doesn't because there is something about slaves honoring their masters, both Christian and non-Christian, instead of rebelling against them, that Paul determines is in the best interest of God's name and is in the best interest of the proclamation of the gospel. And so with our questions and our discomfort noted, here's the truth that we take from this. A life changed by Christ is a life that is willing to sacrifice its own self-interest for the cause of Jesus. This is a rubber meets the road issue for those who identify as Christians. Am I willing to serve the cause of Christ even if I have to endure significant sacrifice to do so? Are you currently sacrificing for Christ in some way? Or every time sacrifice is necessary, do you decline? And and let me just say your presence here today doesn't answer that question. Coming to church isn't a huge sacrifice, even though we count it that way. Take a minute. When sacrifice is needed, what do I do? Do I step up? Do I say yes? Or do I decline? And the cause of Christ requires me to be a little embarrassed. Am I willing? Or do I say no? 
And the cause of sacrifice, the cause of Christ requires me to give a little more time than I want to give. Am I willing or do I say no? When the cause of Christ requires me to be kind when I want to be mean, am I willing or do I say no? What do we do when sacrifice is required? Paul looked at people who were slaves. And he said, for the cause of Christ, I'm asking you to stay in your current condition and serve the person who owns you well. It's a responsibility of Christians to take care of themselves. It's also a responsibility of Christians to sacrifice themselves for Christ and for his gospel. These are six characteristics of a life changed by Jesus. Six things that prove or disprove whether we have been changed since becoming a Christian. Consider these things. And ask yourself where you may more fully need to submit to Christ so that your life demonstrates the faith that you claim to have. Every single one of us need to do that. These are practical differences that our faith in Christ should make in our lives. If we recognize that we're lacking in some area today, God can help us. He can change us. We should desire for him to, and we should do something about it. And one of the things you can do about it, we're about to do right now. If you recognize some area of lack in your life on any of these points that we've talked about, one of the things you can do is care enough about it that you say, God, I want someone to pray with me about this and ask for your spirit to begin to empower me to live consistent with my profession of faith. Why don't you guys stand? I'm going to ask the uh, worship team.